The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. There are entrepreneurs and business leaders that are making so much more than profit in their enterprises. They're also giving back to the community, and so can you. Welcome to Be More, Achieve More, inspiration for the entrepreneurial mind with host Chris Cooper. If you are looking to make the most of yourself and your business, then you will want to stay tuned for the next hour. Here's your host, Chris Cooper. Hi, this is Chris Cooper of Be More, Achieve More on cc1consulting.com. I'm delighted to be back with you again for yet another week. Um, today I'm going to um, be talking about neuroscience, about revealing how to use it for greater work and personal success with Amy Bran. Um, but before we get on to that, I'd like to say, firstly, a big welcome and also a thank you to my guest last week, Rob Brown, who firstly really inspired me to keep my introductions a little bit shorter, um, but also did a, I thought, a, provided some tremendous content on corporate executive presence and I think that information was just so valuable um, for anyone who's maybe starting their career or wishing to grow up the career ladder. So if you know anybody in that um, kind of area who's looking to do that, then do send them that recording. I would have loved to have had that information when I first started my career uh, working for companies uh, many years ago. Uh, this week, I've also been really inspired by a book that I picked up called Younger Next Year. So if you're in your mid-40s or older, it's by Crowley and Lodge. And what it did for me is it inspired me to make a commitment to six days of exercise a week for life. Um, and I don't do that lightly, but I think the book really convinced me. So I'm really hoping to get them on the show as guests this year. I've sent them a note today uh, telling them about my experience with the book and why I'm buying it for my clients, etc. Um, it's, it's a real great life-changing concept. Uh, for those who have listened to the show, you'll know that productivity and getting things done is just so important to me. Uh, the ability, I think, to organize yourself and your business to get the best possible results, I believe, is an essential skill. Um, as is knowing how to really serve and work well with your clients. If that makes sense to you, then isn't it important, do you think, to perhaps understand how the organ, i.e. our brains, really drives that and actually makes it all work. Perhaps you've heard about neuroscience or perhaps you listened to the show that I did about neuroscience and selling that with Simon Hazeldean. Um, if, you, um, if you have and you want to find out more, this show is going to really help us understand more about its application and where it's helpful in business. Now, my guest today is Amy Brand. She bridges the gap between the cutting-edge world of neuroscientific research and the organizations who use it. She left UCL Medical School um, to pursue a coaching career and became fascinated by what the brain can teach us to transform thinking and performance. She's participated in over 12,000 hours of coaching with clients all over the world. She's consulted to companies in Europe, Asia and Australia. Her company, Synaptic Potential, partners with the Wales Centre for Behaviour Change to, and delivers some really cutting-edge training to organisations. She's the author of Make Your Brain Work and Neuroscience for Coaches, both published by Kogan Page. 
She's currently writing a third book, bringing the applications of neuroscience directly into organizations. And amazingly, for that incredible CV, Amy is just 30. And, and I think it's fascinating. There's a real wave of people of that generation who are coming through and making a cutting-edge difference in the world. So a great pleasure today to, to welcome Amy Brown. Oh, thank you, Chris. It's wonderful to be speaking with you this afternoon. You're very welcome, and what a cheery um, way to start the, or the here at the end of the week, <laughs> or start the day if you're in Los Angeles. <laughs> welcome. <laughs> Thank you. So do you, do you want to tell us, Amy, um, just firstly, you know, what is neuroscience? Uh, it's a great place to start, isn't it? <laughs> and it's something that uh, often surprises me, that sometimes there's a little confusion around it. So neuroscience is, is a scientific discipline, so it's the scientific study of the brain. And the scientific communities are bonded together by certain common practices, ethical practices, and their rigorous approaches. Um, it involves neuroscience, involves lots of great technology to increase our understanding of what's going on inside people's brain. So a neuroscientist has gone off to university, done a degree in neuroscience, and then probably done some additional studies to focus them into a specific area of expertise within neuroscience. So another thing that's always really funny is that you could speak to one neuroscientist and they typically have got a very narrow area of focus. They've probably... If they've gone on to do masters or PhDs, then their then their area of focus is really very small, and they may have no idea of what other neuroscientists, perhaps in different areas of the world and certainly in different disciplines, are actually studying. So, it's um, it's a fantastically deep area of expertise that that different experts push into different places of. So, it's it's really the scientific study of of the brain. Excellent. So do you find with, with your work that you're bringing some of the, those, this, that disparate thinking together into some kind of a whole? Exactly. I love how you said that. So um, one of the neuroscientists on our team, when he read through the, uh, like the proof of my last book, Neuroscience for Coaches, he said, wow, you know, I hadn't heard of Hebb's Law before, which underpins habit formation and really how our brain wires uh, wires these habits together and he, he said oh you know I hadn't, hadn't come across this and this is a guy that's been studying this for a long time and but in his research in his areas of expertise he just hadn't touched on on that area and what's important for us to be able to do is to stand back from any uh, any academic biases which is natural for the academics to have but to stand back not being academics ourselves but to be translators of this research into how do we practically apply it in in the world in the in the business world and pick from all of the great research so we can go out and and connect with all of these individuals doing fantastic research and bring it together and sometimes when when I interview neuroscientists and when I talk to them about their work we can start introducing some uh, some bridges to other other areas and applications that they'd not previously thought of before, which is always beautiful to see. And my experience has always been that they're so excited and happy that people are using their research in ways that they, they haven't imagined. Fantastic. And you, you sound so passionate about this subject. And clearly you've, you're about to write your third book on it. I mean, what's attracted neuroscience to you? Well, I think... Um, like you, Chris, I love to know how things work. I feel like uh, 
um, I have the most flexibility when I really understand how things work at the most funda- fundamental level. So if I was trying to make a, uh, a yummy Thai salad dressing, say with my two-year-old daughter, and mm. uh, we're following a recipe and it's all going well, but then say she accidentally adds a little too much sugar, which would not be um, out of the ordinary, then it helps to know how it works, how that, how that dressing actually works so that we can add more lime and add some more fish sauce to balance it out. Whereas if we just had the recipe, if we just had what to do, then we wouldn't we wouldn't know how to work with it should things go a little AWOL perhaps. So uh, for me, understanding that, that fundamental level is really important. And I, I often get asked the question, you know, how did you get into this? And I think it started when I was pretty young um, in that there were some, I guess, shaping life experiences that really made me think about life itself and some people really close to me had struggled with mental health challenges and I to me I I started asking questions of so okay so if the brain can go wrong in these ways how can we help it to go right and as I'm sure you know uh, mental health challenges affect something like 40% of the population um, across the world and it's set to increase um, incidents of depression are rapidly increasing. And when uh, I, I was very keen on a career in medicine from a very young age, and as I was looking into the medical approach to things like depression and bipolar disorder and saying, well, how do we, how do we actually treat people with these challenges? I didn't think psychiatry was doing Doing, getting the results I would love to see it getting the results of. So for someone to go into perhaps therapy for an extended period of time, uh, my sister went into um, an adolescent mental health uh, unit at a young age and it didn't do her any favours at all. In fact, it probably did her uh, more more damage. And so I thought, okay, so there's some things that are definitely going wrong. <laughs> Where are some stuff that's going right? How could we, how could we improve on this? And that took me took my my direction of focus to areas outside of psychiatry outside of medicine and found that the the discipline that that tells us the most i'd say well yeah it, it certainly provides us with the foundations of how the brain works was neuroscience so that's where we spend a lot of our time playing we do draw on other disciplines so we're not um snobby we love love multiple other disciplines but neuroscience really answers some fantastic questions Fantastic. Well, I've got a, I've got a, a question for you. It's probably quite a significant one. We've got three minutes to a commercial break, so um, we'll maybe continue after the break if we need to. But what are the key fundamentals that we need to know about our brains? Well, that's actually an easy question to answer because the there is so much, and it's like looking at a bright, shiny new iPad and thinking, what are the fundamental apps that I need to know about? And so to an extent, it depends on what you want it to do for you. So if you wanted to increase your personal productivity, then you'd want to learn about your prefrontal cortex. If you're running an organization, then you'd need to know about areas of the brain, such as the limbic system. But um, the key things to know about are the different areas and how they work, the different chemicals and the different networks, which neuroscience is starting to reveal more of how, how the networks within the brain actually work. Then the next level, when you've got those fundamentals in place, which we tend to start by teaching people, the next layer is how they interact. Well, you've uh, you've made um, a pretty complex area 
sound quite straightforward. Uh, <laughs> but I'm sure there's, as you say, you go down into detail, there's a lot of information to, uh, to discover. Um, just in the last couple of minutes, how are businesses using neuroscience today? Well, the fresh, innovative businesses who want to grow something really special are recognizing that they can literally use neuroscience to inform the very core decisions within the business. So how is a business set up? What is at the heart of the business? What systems are in place to support this? And what patterns of behavior do we want to create in organizations? So one of the things that we're doing at the moment is developing a model that gives the neuroscience behind how and why you need to engage, motivate, and then manage people within the organization. Most organizations are not doing this effectively. They've got it all muddled up. <laughs> I like that term that you use there, brain-friendly. So you're doing business in a brain-friendly way sounds like it's a much more flowing way than um, being, being um, not, not following a natural process. Somewhere. Absolutely. Our brains are at the core, aren't they? They're driving everything, so we need to make sure that our practices are friendly towards them. Fantastic. Well, we're going to look more about um, in specific elements of how neuroscience can help us with things like productivity and also um, organization um, after the break. So we'll just be back with you again in a couple of minutes. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Would you like to work personally with the host of this show to help realize your potential? Chris Cooper supports business leaders and high-potential individuals to achieve greater success in their businesses and careers. Support includes the opportunity to join a high-return group mentoring and mastermind program called The Achiever Program, one-to-one mentoring and coaching, facilitated leader development workshops and speeches. Email info at bemoreachievemore.com to arrange a free, no-obligation consultation to see how Chris and his team can help you. We hear it and read about it every day in the news. America is heading over a fiscal cliff. Home prices are still receding and unemployment growing. How can you preserve and increase your wealth in this kind of economy? Tune in to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with host Jay Taylor. Jay will explain the decline of our monetary system and the economy and will give you winning investment ideas and the tools to protect and increase your wealth. Turning Hard Times into Good Times with Jay Taylor can be heard Tuesdays at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, 12 noon Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. If you hear a dog barking or an angel singing, then you know that you are listening to Waking Up in America. Heard every Wednesday at 3 Pacific Time, Valerie Kirkard and all of her friends will bring you powerful and humorous discussions that raise thoughts and give you insight on how to live your life to its fullest potential. Adventure is always a must on Waking Up in America with Valerie Kirkard every Wednesday at 3 Pacific. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. tuned in to Be More, Achieve More with host Chris Cooper. If you have a question or comment about our show, please direct your emails to info at bemoreachievemore.com. That's info at bemoreachievemore.com. Now, back to Chris Cooper. Hi, this is Chris Cooper. I'm with Amy Brown. We're talking about neuroscience. And Amy, um, can you explain to us um, how neuroscience can help us with one of my favorite subjects, personal productivity? Well, that is a huge question, and there are many, many different ways that neuroscience 
can give us insights that can help. And if we focus on three, which uh, I often like introducing people to to start with, the um, personal productivity is hugely important to everyone. And I think of productivity not just in terms of work. So I think of it as the quality and quantity of anything I want to do. So to me, it also applies not just to how I'm performing at work, but to things like how I'm investing in friendships, my marriage, raising my daughter, as well as running my business. But the three key things that I think are great to start with are distractions, willpower, and and crafting activities, how we're organizing ourselves and our day and each of these things has got the potential to deliver a dopamine hit and this can be really important when we're talking about productivity excellent we should just very quickly say then a a dopamine hit what's an a dopamine hit Uh, a dopamine, well, dopamine itself is is a hormone and, and a neurotransmitter. So this is one of the chemicals that I told us uh, that I mentioned as being one of the three fundamentals. So it communicates signals between nerve cells. So within our brain, it, it's one of the communicating molecules. It's part of our internal reward system. So it's vital for engagement and for motivation. When we do something that's rewarding to us, we, we release it. So from a a primal perspective, things linked to food and sex trigger it, but so do more sophisticated things like achieving a task. Dopamine is really arousing. It gets us into a movement state, so it gets us primed for action, which is one of its its fundamental purposes and is, is really great from our perspective. Unexpected rewards tend to produce the biggest dopamine hit, the, the science tells us. Um, so, I mean, we're Friday, Chris. When was the last time you surprised your wife with some flowers? Ah, that's a good, good question. <laughs> then I putting me on the spot. <laughs> Maybe it's tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> good answer. <laughs> Excellent. I was just speaking to a friend who just suddenly got £5,000 came through that he didn't realise that they were owed by the tax man the other day. I think, he, wow. I think he'd had a bit of an dopamine hit then. Absolutely, yes. It's, it's even better than if he had been expecting that money. So he would have probably got some dopamine uh, having expected it, but unexpected definitely he'd have been a powerhouse of productivity after that call or email <laughs> Fantastic. so tell us you, the first point you mentioned there then came to top areas was distractions how can it help us avoid distractions neuroscience gives us uh, an insight into what happens when we get distracted and um, and it tells us essentially that it's that it's bad news from a productivity perspective it each time we get distracted, we're taken away from what we're what we're doing. So um, I think of it almost as a, a musician trying to play two instruments at the same time. You know, maybe they're playing the flute. One minute I used to play the flute, so uh, and the saxophone. So one minute I'd be playing the flute, reading the music, watching the conductor. The next minute I'm supposed to play the saxophone. So I have to put down the flute, pick up the saxophone, and then play the saxophone. And then I've got to switch back to the flute. So I've got to put the flute, uh, put the saxophone down, and pick up the flute again. It sounds messy because it is. Each time we're getting distracted, essentially in our brain, we're having to put down one neural network that we were active in and and pick up another one. And the, the other thing that neuroscience tells us is that we're very susceptible to these distractions. So some people say that they work best in a messy environment. The neuroscience tells us that's not likely to be the case I don't like to be absolute but it's, it's very unlikely because visual distractions are are likely to be taking us away from ev- our current thought process even if we're not aware of it we're likely to be pulled off in different 
directions. And indeed, salience, having something in our environment that grabs our attention is a great way of getting us to do something. So it's a great, um, a great way of changing our behavior and, and getting us to do something. So uh, an easy thing, if, if there was one thing that I would recommend for executives, anyone that, that has emails, is to actually turn off your emails so that you do not get a ping or a little red number appearing in your inbox. I've got mine switched off now, but I know if that little number one came up, it would draw my attention and I'd be thinking, oh, I wonder who's that, who that's from. And my attention would be would be split between what I'm trying to do and, and the attraction of the bright, shiny number down in the corner. So removing distractions is one of the best ways to increase your productivity. That's a really good point. And when we were preparing this, I may have mentioned to you a boss that I used to work for who was very effective. Um, he, he had a huge, huge job. But what he would do is he would uh, have a completely clean desk and he would literally bring out a file and sit and work from it uh, with a tidy desk and at the end of the day put his file away. And he was just so efficient and so well organized. And I completely agree. I think you know we can make excuses, can't we, about the state of our office and um, and actually, there's probably an excuse for just being untidy, a bit lazy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I'd always encourage people to just give it, just give it a trial. You know, do two weeks, play full out with the trial, and see how you feel at the end of it. See whether you know we don't have to go completely scientific and measure our productivity. You can if you want, but get a feel for did did it feel better? You know, focusing on one thing at a time and giving myself concrete times to focus on the thing that is really important to me to get done. Great. So tell me a bit about willpower. Well, I often like to ask people, do you think a marshmallow can predict your success? Uh, do you, Chris? <laughs> do I think it can predict my success? I have absolutely no idea where you're going with this. So I'm going to pass <laughs> it back to you to answer the question. To answer the question. So um, do you think a marshmallow can predict your success is the title of the first chapter of Make Your Brain Work. And the reason for that is that back in around 1972, a guy called Walter Michel did um, an experiment or started an experiment where he took a group of around 600 children and got them in a room individually and offered them a marshmallow along with some other other treats. It was American, so um, Oreo cookies were another treat that they were offered. And they were asked to sit with um, this treat, and they could either eat it now, or they could wait 15 minutes, and then they get another one, so they get two of this treat. And the children were around four years old, and the majority of them couldn't resist for the full 15 minutes, which is not surprising because the areas of their brain that... Um, weren't fully developed that would help them with this process. But what they noticed was through a follow-up experiment, which was amazing for um, Walter to be able to do, was that of the children that could resist, the, the children that could wait for the full 15 minutes had an SAT score that was on average 210 points higher than the child that, the child that can only wait for 30 seconds so we're seeing a big difference in in children and um, other studies uh, link a similar thing to adults so in people who can exercise willpower who can resist temptation and um, you might have seen in the UK we have a, a Haribo advert now that plays on this same scientific experiment and illustrating that children can't resist Haribo and uh, the good news for us is that willpower can be strengthened. So 
although it's a great predictor of success, so where our current levels are when we're a child is, is a good predictor, for even us as adults that perhaps think, oh, you know what, maybe willpower is not something that I'm that great at, I would encourage you to strengthen your willpower. And you can do that by, by stretching it. Think of it, um, there's, there's a, lot of, a lot of research going on in this field at the moment and there's some, some different components coming out. But one thing that we think is likely to remain is that our belief around our willpower seems to be important, similarly to free will. So what we believe about willpower seems to be important. Um, so, you know, maybe take the decision today and run with it for the three months that I can strengthen my willpower and I'm going to strengthen my willpower and then practice strengthening it. Great. Excellent. Well, I, I, from, from, uh, I think that's a really, really good point. From my, the angle of, uh, of my book, what I'd also say with that is that you sometimes have to put, also put manual strategy in place to make sure you don't need to exercise your willpower after rely on it, like getting rid of the chocolates or the marshmallows out of your house. <laughs> so you absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. I completely agree. If you don't have to rely on willpower, don't. But And if you can organize your, your life around not needing willpower, fantastic. But just for those times where, oh, you know, if, if, you, if you're wanting to start creating a new habit, then you need to start doing something. Uh, it can be useful to... Uh, yeah, to improve it before you embark on something. Excellent, because just knowing knowing right now that my wife has bought a box of chocolates and they're sitting in our cupboard, in our kitchen, um, <laughs> uh, it, it's quite a lot of willpower to not, after this interview, go and open that box and take one. Yeah, yeah, yeah so it does, it takes, uh, and perhaps that's a decision you've made. Perhaps you, <laughs> you know, you, you like having chocolates on a Friday, but perhaps you've decided, nope, no chocolates. But it definitely links to your decision to be exercising six days a week. You know, that at first, for some people, might take some willpower. In time, it won't, because the way that the brain works is it rewires itself. And um, this is, it sort of links to how we craft our day and how we organize ourselves if we're if we're prioritizing different things and we've made different advanced decisions, then sometimes on the whole we don't want to be having to rely on willpower. So like uh, maybe the chocolates don't come into the house, but once they do, if you've set up an advanced decision that I will eat a chocolate on Friday, Friday's my chocolate day, it's absolutely okay, but um, Saturdays and Sundays are not my chocolate day, so I won't be touching it, then then you're not having to exert the willpower and, and that's a good thing. That's a good good thing. I think I had a bit of uh, challenging conditioning, and I worked for seven years for a confectionery company. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, so it's a, it's quite a hard one to kick that. But um, let's move on to um, crafting activities that deliver a, a dopamine hit. What yeah. So, how we organise ourselves is hugely important to our productivity and our prefrontal cortex, an area of the brain, really underpins a lot of what we do in this area. We need to be able to visualize and attribute value to things in order to prioritize them. We need to be able to delay gratification in, um, in order to craft our day to get some rewards during it with the activities that we do. So thinking about what do I want to achieve today and how can I feel good about it? So with your um, embarking on this new exercise regime, if, if you love exercise, then put it at a time of day where you feel really good about doing it and it will give you a boost that, that lasts into the, the latter part of the day. But if it's not something that you want to do, then you're going to need to craft your day around 
doing something before it that makes you feel pretty motivated and gives you perhaps a boost of dopamine so that then you can go and do the exercise right after it. Excellent. That makes sense. A lot of people I, I speak to and people I speak to on this show have different techniques for doing that, like maybe reading something inspirational in the morning or maybe it's exercise or, or meditating. There's certain times of the day when our energy is lower, isn't it, which uh, maybe we could do with a bit of a, a hit at those times. Absolutely. And be learning more about yourself and how you work best is all part of the process. Fantastic. Well, we're going into another commercial break. After the break, we're going to talk about how neuroscience can help us to structure an entire organization. So we're back with you again in just a couple of minutes. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. Would you like to work personally with the host of this show to help realize your potential? Chris Cooper supports business leaders and high-potential individuals to achieve greater success in their businesses and careers. Support includes the opportunity to join a high-return group mentoring and mastermind program called the Achiever Program, one-to-one mentoring and coaching, facilitated leader development workshops and speeches. Email info at bemoreachievemore.com to arrange a free, no-obligation consultation to see how Chris and his team can help you. Do you, like most Americans, spend the majority of your life at work? Are you making it the joy that it deserves to be, or are you feeling drained and unfocused? Tune in to A Great Place to Work with hosts Kurt Kaufman and Dr. Kathy Sorensen. Your hosts have more than 30 years of experience in workplace consulting and are ready to bring you the secrets and success stories of businesses who are making their business a great place to work. Listen every Friday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel and enjoy a better workplace and a better life. Have you become a member yet? Sign up now to become a member of Voice America. It's always free and easy. Plus, you get to take advantage of some great member benefits. Get unlimited access to millions of hours of on-demand content across all of our channels. Keep track of your favorite episodes, shows, and hosts in your own customizable library. Find out what shows you might be interested in based on your favorites. Plus, you get insider access with our newsletter. Membership gives you more. Sign up at voiceamerica.com and click register at the top right. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. You are tuned in to Be More, Achieve More with host Chris Cooper. If you have a question or comment about our show, please direct your emails to info at bemoreachievemore.com. That's info at bemoreachievemore.com. Now, back to Chris Cooper. Hi, this is Chris Cooper. I'm with Amy Brand. We're talking about neuroscience. And Amy, we mentioned just before the break that you can use neuroscience to help you with structuring an organization. Um, what, what do you mean? How, how can neuroscience help us? That's a really good question. So the reason that neuroscience can help us structure an organization, and I did actually go even one step further and say it should help us it should be underpinning how we structure an organization because organizations are made up of people and people have each got brains and we know quite a lot about how each of these brains fundamentally works a lot of organizations don't take this into consideration when they are structuring themselves or evolving in their structure and a lot of the time we look to other resources in the different 
fields. So a lot of historical stuff is driving how people organize organizations. And in fact, neuroscience should be at the at the underpinning. So we uh, we go to research first. So everything that we do, we sift through the scientific papers, the journals, we look to the, the core research that's coming out of the labs. And then we chunk up and we say, well, what similarities are we seeing here? What seem to be themes? What's the research telling us that we can that we can use and apply? And we ended up developing something that we call the synaptic circle, which has got various areas that uh, the research tells us organizations need to pay attention to. So it includes things like connection, communication, control, culture, contribution, confidence, celebration, certainty. They're the outsides of the circle and there's more on the inside, but that gives us a really firm structure to almost use as a checklist. That's how some organizations use this is to say, well, you know, how are we doing on the connection front? You know, what do we, what do we need to do here to strengthen our organization? Excellent. Also very helpful. They all start with C. Ah, pure coincidence, Chris. <laughs> <laughs> um, so let's let's start. Well, I'll ask you about one or two of them with the, in the time we've got. So maybe we could start with um, with connection. Talk, talk to me about connection. Okay. So some of the problems that becoming aware of the science of connection can help with are high staff turnover, low staff engagement, um, low motivation, presenteeism, so people being there but you're wishing that they really weren't, and really lots and lots of problems. And sometimes we get asked, well, why? Why is it so many of these problems that, that this one thing can help with? And the answer is because it's a core human need. So our brains are built and wired to need this. Imagine back in the days where men would hunt and women would gather berries the connection that a, a, a individuals had within that group would be essential to their survival. So it's it's that fundamental that we need this connection, and uh, to that extent, it really has a ripple, a, a potential positive ripple effect within an organisation. And quite often, when we work with organisations, we can see when they're set up not to honour this, if I can put it in those terms. And there are things that can be done quite easily to start bringing in some benefits to that organization so how does it work well connecting releases oxytocin and oxytocin helps people bond together so back in the day when people first started to research oxytocin and a good friend of mine Paul Zach is a, is a leading researcher in this field and has written a fantastic book called The Moral Molecule on oxytocin if we if we think about it and he experienced this um when when we first heard of oxytocin, it was around um, breastfeeding and labour. So um, oxytocin is released in women to um, help help with the process of breastfeeding. And the effect there is that absolutely the mother and baby are bonded together. When a, a mother's breastfeeding, they feel very present, very connected. Um, so this is sort of a, 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 a uh, one of the ways that oxytocin works and is a great example of how it also works in other other areas so we now know that men release oxytocin too everyone actually releases oxytocin and it it has the similar effect in in everyone in that it it helps people to bond another positive effect of oxytocin is it actually decreases our cortisol levels so 
These are a couple more of the chemicals I was telling you about and that most people have probably have heard of, if not in depth. Um, cortisol is known as the stress hormone um, and oxytocin helps reduce that. So you can think that makes it fantastic for, uh, it's got fantastic additional benefits within organizations. If we think about organizations and how they can arrange themselves to increase the release of this oxytocin and so to to increase the connection that people feel within the organization we've certainly seen uh, things like uh, donut friday so and, and there's obviously healthier alternatives but having a, a donut friday where people come together uh, in the and share a donut perhaps but but being in the same space and talking together. I'm part of a, a journal club with the Wales Centre for Behaviour Change and we um, neuroscientists, psychologists, behaviour um, analysts all meet together and part of the intention is to learn and we all we all share our different ideas about a different paper that we're, we're studying. But part of the intention is is that we're all coming together we bond and I often Skype in because um, we're based about three hours apart and I will still release oxytocin even though I'm not there in person, I possibly, I probably don't release as much, although that could change in the future with our brains rewiring, but I, I still release oxytocin and the benefits mean that in future, when I do meet with people, um, the interactions are even more easy with my colleagues because I'm laying, I'm investing in the relationship. So oxytocin helps us to invest and build stronger relationships. Is, is that the feeling? I, I mean, you know, I, I feel this when I have a, a conversation with uh, somebody where you, you feel kind of a closeness and you, you know, you're so focusing on the conversation uh, be, because, <clears throat> well, there is a connection between you. Um, and I think sometimes, you know, I feel like in a sort of coaching intervention, I feel like sometimes on the in this show, like, you know, like the way we're connecting right now, um, is that is that feeling a, a consequence of us both releasing this oxytocin? Absolutely. And we don't know for sure without taking our blood, but um, it's it's highly likely that we're both releasing oxytocin. We like each other. We trust each other. We enjoy the process of interacting. So we're probably releasing some serotonin as well and possibly some dopamine as well. But, But certainly the oxytocin means that um, if you were to say something, Chris, I would trust what you say. I would believe what you would say. And if you ask me to do something, then I'd do it because we've got that um, we've got that connection, and uh, it, it's a healthy, uh, sensible thing for people that are working together to be to build. And you think in in organisations where in the past we've had challenges with levels of trust and I'm sure in your work you, you go into organizations and you see low levels of trust in organizations and you just think oh you know if, if only things were better then you would all the individuals would experience their working day their working week more positively and the organization would be more productive as a result. Excellent also what this is bring, conjuring up for me as well I'm, I'm working with a client at the moment and helping them leading a project which with one aspect of the project being to um, move them to uh, a new office and build have a new office built and their current office they're a great company but their current office and in which I currently have an office in it um, are, is, is composed of lots of lots of little offices as opposed to being in an open plan where people can can connect and you kind of feel when you go into someone else's office you're moving into someone else's territory do you know what I mean yes yes so Absolutely. In in the layout of organizations, this is, I love that you brought this up because it links to 
my suggestion that neuroscience should underpin everything within organizations, even uh, the layout of, of an organization. Now, if you were going to suggest that we, that we made everything open plan, there are some other challenges from a productivity and a distraction perspective that we'd want to consider there. But certainly, at the very least, I would encourage all organizations to have areas that encourage interaction. Recently, I was working uh, with a company and they had the best kitchen area. It was wonderful. And it you know, had a lovely island unit in the middle. I felt like I was in a really nice homely kitchen. And people, people gravitated to that kitchen and would spend a couple of minutes having a coffee break at, together. And while there are some concerns at times that, oh, well, is this going to take a nosedive in productivity because people are going to be standing around chatting all the time? It, there almost needs to be some trust from the organization that the individuals are self, self-monitoring and focused and engaged in their work. So it's a much bigger picture than just um, trying to firehose some solutions, but layering in the, the building blocks so that it all pulls together and all works together well is really important but definitely having a place where people want to spend a little bit of time with one another perhaps exchanging ideas perhaps coming together for meetings um, connecting perhaps sharing you know what's going on in their life you know did, did we know it was Chris's birthday last week you know that's that's something to be celebrated and um, you know to bring in donuts and, and all sit together and, and share because ultimately it will serve the organization because the bonds within it will be stronger. Excellent. Well, you make a good point as well about, uh, I think some companies I've worked with have gone completely open plan. There's no space for individual territory, um, which I suppose maybe comes back to maybe a bit of a primeval need for security. And Absolutely. Safety. So maybe, you know, there's, uh, as you say, there's probably a, a halfway house. Yes, yes. We like to have some control over our environment. And if everything's open plan, my my personal feeling based on the research is that the people need access to safe spaces that are that are quiet where they can do some really focused intense work without fear of interruption because that will that will be another productivity drainer Uh, so so we definitely need a balance and we need to take into consideration all of these different ways that the brain works optimally, all of these different ways that all of the different needs that the brain has, and then design something that works on that. And there are some things that, that are across the board for organizations, but there are some things that you really want to tailor to the organization. You know, what's what's every, every organization's got some things that are special about them, some things that they hold dear to them and that they're really about and that they really want to be part of their core and of what they're contributing to other people uh, the the people that they're serving and so so honoring that in the design of the company in the in the very infrastructure of it uh, i think is is very possible and a real ideal to strive towards fantastic well we're going to go to commercial break again now so we'll be back with you in a a couple of uh, more minutes with uh, some more neuroscience and some more amy brown so be back with you again in just two minutes When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Hi, I'm Rebecca Costa, host of the Costa Report every Tuesday at 6 a.m. and again at 6 p.m. 
This week, my guest is outspoken former congressman and one of our country's most prominent gay public figures, Mr. Barney Frank. He'll be with us to talk about the Supreme Court's ruling on DOMA and how the Obama presidency is doing in its second term. Don't miss Barney Frank this Tuesday at 6 a.m. and again at 6 p.m. on the Voice America Business Channel. Dialogue is the single most powerful leadership tool we have to make a difference in the world. Leading conversations with host Cheryl Esposito creates a place for that dialogue. Tune into the Voice America Business Channel every Friday as Cheryl hosts new conversations among leaders from around the world in business, government, art, economics, and social change. We'll explore big ideas and everyday actions and learn how their own leadership has led them to discover a newfound sense of possibility in the world. Leading conversations with Cheryl Esposito, bringing big thinkers together in conversations that make a difference right here on the Voice America Business Channel every Friday morning at 10 a.m. Pacific Standard Time. Would you like to work personally with the host of this show to help realize your potential? Chris Cooper supports business leaders and high-potential individuals to achieve greater success in their businesses and careers. Support includes the opportunity to join a high-return group mentoring and mastermind program called The Achiever Program. One-to-one mentoring and coaching, facilitated leader development workshops and speeches. Email info at bemoreachievemore.com to arrange a free, no-obligation consultation to see how Chris and his team can help you. The business community's first choice in Internet Talk Radio, Voice America Business Network. tuned in to Be More, Achieve More with host Chris Cooper. If you have a question or comment about our show, please direct your emails to info at bemoreachievemore.com. That's info at bemoreachievemore.com. Now, back to Chris Cooper. Hi, this is Chris Cooper. I'm with Amy Brown. We're talking about neuroscience. And before the break, we were discussing about how to use neuroscience to help us structure an organization. And Amy mentioned a number of different um, uh, different aspects, um, about eight C's, I think, and uh, seven or eight. And um, we talked about connection. So I'd just like to just touch on, before we go into behavior change, um, tell us about another one. Perhaps um, tell us about contribution, Amy. Oh, well, a question I often ask organizations is, can everyone within the company explain, without using jargon, what it is that you're company contributes to the world why does it deserve to exist so almost if you were thinking of talking to a seven-year-old child and we were cutting down on the number of companies out there could you sell to this child why your company deserves to exist some organizations have corporate social responsibility streams perhaps where they take a day out a year and go and work at a school or decorate a local park and renovate a local park perhaps and this can have a bonding effect on the group you can be releasing oxytocin when you're when you're working in this way and contributing the the real scientific underpinning to why contribution is so important and why linking your work with the contribution it's making is is offers organizations such great benefits and the individuals within it such great benefits is that in our brains we process um, the giving of money to a charity in the same way as we process receiving a financial reward. So 
There's some studies that show that we're activating similar circuits, similar areas of the brain, whether we're contributing to a charity or whether we're receiving a financial reward. So if we chunk up on that and there's, there's no direct organizational research. We're, we're striving to do some with organizations to actually get some really concrete data on this. But the, the effect we expect to be is that we feel we feel rewarded um, sort of in, in neuroscientific terms, but we're actuate, activating the reward circuitry when we're contributing to something. So wouldn't it be amazing if every day you get up and you go in to do what you're going to do, that you feel rewarded, you feel good about that. You're releasing dopamine and you're releasing serotonin. And when you're working with others, you're releasing oxytocin and you're feeling great about the work that you're doing and that's completely possible and a lot of entrepreneurs have it and a lot of entrepreneurial companies have it but a lot of the bigger companies are missing out they're missing a trick I think that makes an awful lot of sense because we all like to feel well I think we do that we're doing something worthy and worthy of our time absolutely and I do wonder sometimes when I get to I get to you know harassed um, for an appointment about uh, having a, a new kitchen that I don't need or a new set of windows um, or even even I got um, I even got told once that um, a company was in my area and they could see that I could do really benefit from a conservatory and I nearly said yes because at the time I had a two bedroom flat which was on the top floor uh, <laughs> <laughs> I thought it was best to fill them in but I, I just wonder with some people's roles you know um, whether there's more worthy things they could be out there doing. <laughs> so that's great so let's um, have a look at behavior change now because that's uh, such an important area and I know neuroscience can really help us with that yeah so I think of um, I think of this as one of neuroscientists neuroscience's best kept secrets so there's a lot of research going on in various places including the World Center for Behavior Change and neuroscience um, sheds light on two networks called or in neuroscience called the hot and cold network uh, which is linked to the work by Daniel Kahneman uh, think fast think slow and he calls them system one and system two there ultimately behaviors drive so much of organizations and we want to change a lot of behaviors in order to get better results so this is this is where it all drives to getting different results involves us changing behaviors and how we change behaviors is by understanding how we how we tri- trigger different behaviors and how how behaviors occur so there's lots of things that you can do including um, this whole big field of of nudging mm-hmm. so what's nudging <laughs> <laughs> um uh, nudging um is 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 described is 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 one of the ways that we can um cro- uh, create um, choice architecture. So um, it describes the way decisions are influenced by the way the choices are presented. So a nudge has to be something that is is gentle, as the name would suggest. It can't limit the choices that a person have uh, and, it, and it can't make them do something. It can't um, make the benefits too great so it can't offer say huge financial rewards for example a a classic example of nudging would be let's see your wife could nudge you chris by putting your trainers by the front door or or by your side of the bed or lay your running um if running was going to be one of your exercise exercises that day lay your running stuff out right where you'd see it when you get up in the morning. So she's not saying you can't go straight downstairs and, and have breakfast and sit out and look at your lovely garden, but she's nudging. She's, she's making the other option 
more salient in this case, so making it much higher in your awareness. And one of the things that we know about the brain is that in some ways it's kind of lazy. It it likes to do what's easy, what's right in front of it. And when we activate the hot network, so areas that are more linked to the limbic system, then we, we see the running gear and we go, oh, yeah, I was going to go for a run. Great. And we get up, we put the running gear on and out we go. When we and we can do the same kind of things in organisations. When we um, when we don't see that, then it might be that before we know it, if if our habit had been to go downstairs and and have a nice breakfast and and relax, then that before we know it, that's what we're doing. And so relying, utilising that hot network, um, our almost our impulsive kind of behaviours is great versus trying to engage the cognitive system, the prefrontal cortex, the cold network. If we can avoid having to utilize that, then that's a really great way to go. Excellent. <clears throat> My dog's very good at that. <laughs> <laughs> he, he sort of stands there looking at me, take me for a walk. <laughs> Absolutely. He's not making you do it, but he's, he's, he's making that option attractive to you. He is, yeah, he's very good at that. Um, so <clears throat> what, sort of, what sort of strategies can we adopt to you know, to help us with behavior change? Well, I think very much um, either nudging ourselves, which there's some discrepancy about, um, by, for example, you putting your running gear um, out on the side where you're going to see it first thing in the morning. But thinking organizationally, leaders have got a real responsibility to create environments that best serve the individuals. So what do we want the individuals within the organization to be doing? is the first question, then how can we arrange things that makes it, that activates their hot network for them to do that? So, so there's, there's a whole host of strategies. There's about um, oh, at least 12, 13 different tools that you can use to start crafting the environment to make it most appealing for people to take, choose the behavior that we want people to be choosing. So I can imagine that retailers get into this because they, they do it all the time <laughs> yeah so i want to know you know i think i'm thinking about sort of when i was worked in um retail we're looking at things like you know category management in stores um and being a confectionery company trying to influence where our brands were in that store that's nudging isn't it yes yeah that's some okay. of the classic nudging experiments are done in that sort of arena excellent so we've got a we've, sorry we've got a couple of minutes um, i just really wonder what what are the things that people could do you know right now following this interview to make some real positive changes in the way that they're operating? I would suggest that people take five minutes, sit somewhere quietly and honestly evaluate their personal productivity. Are you achieving what you want to in life? Think about the organization of which you're a part. And when you go to dinner parties with your friend, are you proud to talk about the organization? Is there anything that you wish could be better? If you are wanting to improve any of those things, then plug into some of the great quality free resources that are out there. We publish white papers, a monthly newsletter, and free chapters of books, uh, all of which can introduce you to some new ways of doing things that will build on the results that you're currently getting at work and at home. Fantastic. Hey, Amy, I've absolutely loved talking to you today. Um, I hope you've been on, enjoyed being on the show. Thank um, you very much. And uh, you know, if you want to find out more about Amy Brand, you can go to www.synapticpotential.com. Uh, I've certainly taken um, some things from the show, and I think uh, you know, just thinking actually about the science and the neuroscience behind you know, some of the things that I kind of understand around not being distracted and 
willpower and crafting activities and things, I think what uh, what you realise actually there is a, you know some chemical things happening behind that. So uh, thinking about when you should uh, you know, put some activities in place to get a dopamine hit. I think all that's really good. And I think also thinking about you know an organisation, how you structure it, and uh, and I shall think a bit more about nudging and how I can utilise that even more because I think that's a a really fascinating concept and probably links very much to some of the work that I'm doing. So, Amy, been wonderful talking to you today. Um, so go to um, synapticpotential.com for more information on Amy Brown and her books and, uh, and the work that they do there. On next week's show, it's um, the 4th of July. It's Thanksgiving in the United States and um, wish you all well um, on that day. And not Thanksgiving. Is it Thanksgiving, the 4th of July? Yeah. Uh, is that Independence Day? Independence I don't, Day. Independence Day. Yes, of course it's not Thanksgiving. <laughs> it's Independence Day. Um, so have a great um, holiday in uh, the United States. And um, we're going to be playing, because the, uh, there's no live shows that day, we're going to be playing um, the show with Graham Codrington, which is a really good show about the future and thinking into the future, as Graham's a futurist. So um, I look forward to speaking to you all again um, very soon. For listening to Be More Achieve More. Please join your host Chris Cooper again next Friday at 8 a.m. US Pacific Time, typically 4 p.m. London on the Voice America Business Channel. Enjoy your week. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.